0: Chapter Three: The Man Whom the Trees Loved. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amy Graymore. The Man Whom the Trees Loved by Algernon Blackwood. Chapter Three. A deep hush followed. In the middle of which an owl was heard calling its muffled note in the forest. A big moth whirred with a soft collision above one of the windows mrs Bittacy started slightly but no one spoke above the trees the stars were faintly visible from the distance came the barking of a dog Bittacy, relighting his cigar broke the little spell of silence that had caught all three it's a rather comforting thought he said throwing the match out of the window that life is about us everywhere and that there is really no dividing line between what we call organic and inorganic of universe yes said sanderson is all one really We're puzzled by the gaps we cannot see across. But as a fact, I suppose, there are no gaps at all. Mrs. Bittacy rustled ominously, holding her peace meanwhile. She feared long words she did not understand. Beelzebub lay hid among too many syllables. In trees and plants especially, there dreams an exquisite life that no one yet has proved unconscious. Or conscious either, Mr. Sanderson, she neatly interjected. "'It's only man that was made after his image, not shrubberies and things.' "'Her husband interposed without delay. "'It is not necessary,' he explained suavely, "'to say that they are alive in the sense that we are alive. "'At the same time,' with an eye to his wife, "'I see no harm in holding, dear, "'that all created things contain some measure of his life who made them. "'It's only beautiful to hold that he created nothing dead. "'We are not pantheists for all that,' he added soothingly. "'Oh, no, not that, I hope.' The word alarmed her. It was worse than Pope. Through her puzzled mind stole a stealthy, dangerous thing like a panther. "'I like to think that even in decay there's life,' the painter murmured. "'The falling apart of rotten wood breeds sentiency, this force and motion in the falling of a dying leaf, and the breaking up and crumbling of everything, indeed. And take an inert stone. It's crammed with heat and weight and potencies of all sorts. What holds its particles together, indeed?' We understand it as little as gravity, or why a needle always turns to the north. Both things may be a mode of life." "'You think a compass has a soul, Mr. Sanderson?' exclaimed the lady with a crackling of her silk flounces that conveyed a sense of outrage even more plainly than her tone. The artist smiled to himself in the darkness. But it was Bittacy who hastened to reply. "'Our friend merely suggests that these mysterious agencies,' he said quietly, "'may be due to some kind of life we can't understand.' Why should water only run downhill? Why should trees grow at right angles to the surface of the ground and towards the sun? Why should the world spin forever on their axes? Why should fire change the form of everything it touches without really destroying them? To say these things follow the law of their being explains nothing. Mr. Sanderson merely suggests, poetically, my dear, of course, that these may be manifestations of life, the life at a different stage to ours. The breath of life, we read, he breathed into them. These things do not breathe, she said it with triumph. Then Sanderson put in a word. But he spoke rather to himself or to his host than by way of a serious rejoinder to the ruffled lady. But plants do breathe too, you know, he said. They breathe, they eat, they digest, they move about, and they adapt themselves to their environment, as men and animals do. They have a nervous system too, at least a complex system of nuclei which have some of the qualities of nerve cells. They may have memory, too. Certainly they know definite action in response to stimulus. And though this may be physiological, no one has proved that it is only that, and not psychological. He did not notice, apparently, the little gasp that was audible behind the yellow shawl. Bittacy cleared his throat, threw his extinguished cigar upon the lawn, crossed and recrossed his legs. And in trees, continued the other, behind a great forest, for instance, pointing towards the woods, may stand a rather splendid entity that manifests through all the thousand individual trees, some huge collective life, quite as minutely and delicately organized as our own. It might merge and blend with ours, under certain conditions, so that we could understand it by being it. For a time, at least, it might even engulf human vitality into the immense whirlpool of its own vast dreaming life. The pull of a big forest on a man can be tremendous and utterly overwhelming. The mouth of Mrs. Bittacy was heard to close with a snap, Her shawl, and particularly her crackling dress, exhaled the protest that burned within her like a pain. She was too distressed to be overawed, but at the same time too confused amid the litter of words and meanings half understood to find immediate phrases she could use, whatever the actual meaning of his language might be, however, and whatever subtle dangers lay concealed behind them, meanwhile, they certainly wove a kind of gentle spell with the glimmering darkness that held all three delicately enmeshed there by that open window. The odours of dewy lawn, flowers, trees, and earth formed part of it. The moods, he continued, that people waken in us are due to their hidden life affecting our own. Deep calls to sleep. A person, for instance, joins you in an empty room. You both instantly change. The new arrival, though in silence, has caused a change of mood. May not the moods of nature touch and stir us in virtue of a similar prerogative? The sea, the hills, the desert... "'weak passion, joy, terror, as the case may be. "'For a few, perhaps,' he glanced significantly at his host, "'so that Mrs. Bittacy again caught the turning of his eyes. "'Emotions of a curious, flaming splendour that are quite nameless. "'Well, whence come their powers? "'Surely from nothing that is dead. "'Does not the influence of a forest, its sway and strange ascendancy over certain minds, "'betray a direct manifestation of life? "'It lies otherwise beyond all explanation.' this mysterious emanation of big woods. Some natures, of course, deliberately invite it. The authority of a host of trees!' His voice grew almost solemn as he said the words. "'Is something not to be denied? One feels it here. I think, particularly.' There was considerable tension in the air as he ceased speaking. Mr. Bittacy had not intended that the talk should go so far. They had drifted. He did not wish to see his wife unhappy or afraid, and he was aware, acutely so, that her feelings were stirred to a point he did not care about. Something in her, as he put it, was working up towards explosion. He sought to generalize the conversation, diluting this accumulated emotion by spreading it. The sea is his, and he made it, he suggested vaguely, hoping Sanderson would take the hint. And with the trees it is the same. The whole gigantic vegetable kingdom, yes, the artist took him up, all at the service of man for food, for shelter, and for a thousand purposes of his daily life. It is not striking what a lot of the globe they cover. Exquisitely organized life, yet stationary. Always ready to our hand when we want them, never running away. But the taking them for all that, not so easy. One man shrinks from picking flowers, another from cutting down trees. And it's curious that most of the forest tales and legends are dark, mysterious, and somewhat ill-omened. The forest beings are really gay and harmless. The forest life was felt as terrible. Tree worship still survives today. Woodcutters those who take the lives of tree, you see a race of haunted men. He stopped abruptly, a singular catch in his voice. Bittacy felt something even before the sentences were over. His wife, he knew, felt it more strongly, for it was in the middle of the heavy silence following upon these last remarks that Mrs. Bittacy, rising with a violent abruptness from her chair, drew the attention of the others to something moving toward them across the lawn. It came silently. In outline it was large and curiously spread. It rose high, too for the sky above the shrubberies, still pale from the sunset, was dimmed by its passage. She declared afterwards that it was moving in looping circles. But what she perhaps meant to convey was spirals. She screamed faintly, It's come at last, and it's you that brought it. She turned excitedly, half afraid, half angry, to Sanderson. With a breathless sort of a gasp she said it, politeness all forgotten. I knew it if you went on. I knew it. Oh, oh, and she cried again. You're talking has brought it out the terror that shook her voice was rather dreadful but the confusion of her vehement words passed unnoticed in the first surprise they caused for a moment nothing happened what is it you think you see my dear asked her husband startled sanderson said nothing all three leaned forward the men still sitting but mrs bittacy had rushed hurriedly to the window placing herself of a purpose as it seemed between her husband and the lawn she pointed her little hand made a silhouette against the sky the yellow shawl hanging from the arm like a cloud. Beyond the cedar, between it and the lilacs. The voice had lost its shrillness, it was thin and hushed. There, now you see it going round upon itself again, going back, thank God, going back to the forest. It sank to a whisper, shaking. She repeated with a great dropping sigh of relief, Thank God, I thought at first it was coming here, to us, David, to you. She stepped back from the window, her movements confused, feeling the darkness for the support of a chair, and finding her husband's outstretched hand instead. Hold me, dear, hold me, please, tight. Do not let me go. She was in what he called afterwards a regular state. He drew her firmly down upon her chair again. Smoke, Sophie, my dear, he said quickly, trying to make his voice calm and natural. I see it, yes, it's smoke blowing over from the gardener's cottage. But David and there was a new horror in her whisper now it made a noise it makes it still i hear it swishing some such word she used swishing sishing rushing or something of the kind david i'm very frightened it's something awful that man has called it out hush hush whispered her husband he stroked her trembling hand beside him it is in the wind said sanderson speaking for the first time very quietly the expression on his face was not visible in the gloom but his voice was soft and unafraid at the sound of it mrs bittacy started violently again bittacy drew his chair a little forward to obstruct her view of him he felt bewildered himself a little hardly knowing quite what to say or do it was also very curious and sudden but mrs bittacy was badly frightened it seemed to her that what she saw came from the enveloping forest just beyond their little garden It emerged in a sort of secret way, moving towards them as with a purpose stealthily, difficultly. Then something stopped it. It could not advance beyond the cedar. The cedar! This impression remained with her afterwards, too. Prevented! Kept it back! Like a rising sea, the forest had surged a moment in their direction through the covering darkness, and this visible movement was its first wave. Thus her mind, it seemed, like that mysterious turn of the tide that used to frighten and mystify her in childhood on the sands the outward surge of some enormous power was what she felt something to which every instinct in her being rose in opposition because it threatened her and hers in that moment she realized the personality of the forest menacing in the stumbling movement that she had made away from the window and towards the bell she barely caught the sentence sanderson or was it her husband murmured to himself it came because we talked of it our thinking made it aware of us and brought it out but the sea just stopped it it cannot cross the lawn you see All three were standing now, and her husband's voice broke in with authority while his wife's fingers touched the bell. "'My dear, I should not say anything to Thompson.' The anxiety he felt was manifest in his voice, but his outward composure had returned. "'The gardener can go—' And Sanderson cut him short. "'Allow me,' he said quickly. "'I'll see if anything's wrong.' And before either of them could answer or object, he was gone, leaping out by the open window. They saw his figure vanish with a run across the lawn into the darkness. A moment later the maid entered in An answer to the bell and with her came the loud barking of the terrier from the hall the lamp said her master shortly and as she softly closed the door behind her they heard the wind pass with a mournful sound of singing round the outer walls a rustle of foliage from the distance passed within it you see the wind is rising it was the wind he put a comforting arm about her distressed to feel that she was trembling but he knew that he was trembling too though with a kind of awed elation rather than alarm. And it was smoke that you saw coming from Stride's cottage, or from the rubbish heap he's been burning in the kitchen garden. The noise we heard was the branches rustling in the wind. Why should you be so nervous? A thin whispering voice answered him. I was afraid for you, dear. Something frightened me for you. That man makes me feel so uneasy and uncomfortable for his influence upon you. It's very foolish, I know. I think... I'm tired i feel so overwrought and restless the words poured out in a hurried jumble and she kept turning to the window while she spoke the strain of having a visitor he said soothingly has taxed you we're so unused to having people in the house he goes to-morrow he warmed her cold hands between his own stroking them tenderly more for the life of him he could not say or do the joy of a strange internal excitement made his heart beat faster he knew not what it was he knew only perhaps whence it came she peered close into his face through the gloom, and said a curious thing. "'I thought, David, for a moment, you seemed different. My nerves are all on edge to-night.' She made no further reference to her husband's visitor. The sound of footsteps from the lawn warned of Sanderson's return. As he answered quickly in a lowered tone, "'There's no need to be afraid on my account, dear girl. There's nothing wrong with me, I assure you. I never felt so well and happy in my life.' "'Thompson came in with the lamps and brightness, and scarcely had she gone again when Sanderson in turn was seen climbing through the window. "'There's nothing,' he said lightly, as he closed it behind him. "'Somebody's been burning leaves, and the smoke is drifting a little through the trees.' "'The wind,' he added, glancing at his host a moment significantly, but in so discreet a way that Mrs. Bittacy did not observe it. "'The wind, too, has begun to roar in the forest further out. But Mrs. Bittacy noticed about him two things which increased her uneasiness. She noticed the shining of his eyes, because a similar light had suddenly come into her husband's, and she noticed, too, the apparent depth of meaning he put into those simple words, that the wind had begun to roar in the forest, further out. Her mind retained the disagreeable impression that he meant more than he said. In his tone lay quite another implication. It was not actually wind he spoke of, and it would not remain further out. Rather, it was coming in. Another impression she got, too, still more unwelcome, was that her husband understood his hidden meaning. End of chapter 3